Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is a beautiful Friday afternoon here in Charlotte, North Carolina. As you'll notice on this episode of the Kitty Lit Podcast, a little bit different setup today. Um, my co-host Alex is not with us today. He is handling some very important grown-up business. Um, he is at a bachelor party. So he's got a little bit more important things to tend to and has entrusted in me to kind of carry the baton here today and handle this all on my own. So you'll be flying solo with me. I apologize for that. I understand that that may get a little bit tedious hearing only my voice trying to explain things to you and trying to kind of calm everything down right now, to be completely honest. So with that being said, let's just go ahead and let's address the giant elephant in the room right now for Panthers fans. Bryce Young's injury, right? That is the main thing that everyone is talking about right now. Ankle injury pops up on the injury report um, for Wednesday's walkthrough as a DNP. Didn't seem like it was an alarming issue because he didn't come out of the game against New Orleans at any point. Um, his performance didn't seem to be overly affected by anything noticeable um, watching the game and watching film. But he did tweak that ankle. There is some video out of him being rolled up on by Marcus May that appears to be when that happened early in the third quarter. Um, the team has said that it likely happened in the first half. I mean, who knows? And honestly, who gives a shit, right? He's not 100% healthy. The real thing about all of this, though, there is this weird thing that's happening right now with the Panthers' own fans where the tinfoil hats have come out and people want to act as if this is some sort of guise to help heal Bryce's psyche because they think that he's beat down and worn down and defeated after two weeks in the NFL. This is a guy that we've talked about his superpowers being his acumen, his leadership, his processing ability, and being unflappable. Somehow we have turned this into a, he's fragile mentally, right? There's been no indication that Bryce is engulfed in self-doubt or woe is me, look at me getting torn apart by the media and by the fans. It's nonsense. Man, like every single bit of that is nonsense. When we came into this season and David Tepper acquires this Avengers cast of coaches, right? Offensive minded, tons of experience, Super Bowl experience, Super Bowl wins. We talked about how that was perfect for a rookie quarterback like Bryce Young. And all it has taken is eight quarters of NFL football to totally throw that away and turn on this team. I want to exercise a little bit of caution here. And, I, and I'm not excusing Bryce Young in, in the way that this has started. He, he's, he's looked bad, man. He's had some tough games. And I thought that last week against the Saints, I thought that he made some improvements. He eliminated the interceptions altogether. He is under extreme pressure. The offensive line has done a okay job. They haven't been a strength of this team like maybe we had hoped. But he's facing pressure on like 42% of snaps right now as a rookie. That's a lot. <laughs> you know, when you're facing pressure almost half of the time that you drop back, man, that changes the way that you can approach the game. 
Not to mention these receivers are having a really hard time creating their own separation, winning one-on-one battles, winning releases off the line of scrimmage, and the offensive scheme isn't doing a ton of super helpful things to create open playmakers for Bryce Young. When we talk about a rookie quarterback and the struggles, yes, he was the most pro-ready prospect of the entire 2023 NFL draft class. That's still true. Just because that hasn't translated in the first two games does not mean that that was a mistake or that that was incorrect. Bryce has still shown a great ability to operate an offense, to make anticipation throws that is an NFL skill. Anticipation throws are an NFL skill. And it's something that you don't see from a high volume of college quarterbacks. It's something that separates the good from the great. And he's shown the ability to make those throws. So compare that to some of the other terrific quarterback careers, right? Let's do that. When you take a look at John Elway, I think you've probably heard of him. He's a pretty solid quarterback, Super Bowl winner. His rookie year, he was four and six as a starter. 1,663 yards, seven touchdowns, 14 interceptions on 48 completion percentage. It's not stellar, right? Troy Aikman won a few Super Bowls. Pretty good quarterback. 0-11 as a starter. 1,749 yards, 9 touchdowns, and 18 interceptions. Peyton Manning, the sheriff, Mr. Omaha himself. I think everyone would agree that this is a top five easy, you could honestly argue top three, top two, quarterback of all time. Very pro-ready prospect, right? 3-13 3-13 and 13 as a starter, 3,739 yards, 26 touchdowns, 28 interceptions. Most recently, considered probably the most complete generational pro-ready prospect from a quarterback standpoint since Andrew Luck. Let's talk about Trevor Lawrence. 3-14 and 14 as a starter. 3,641 yards, 12 touchdowns, 17 interceptions on 59% completions. I think that if you were to ask the fan bases of each one of these guys, and we'll remove Trevor Lawrence because his story is still being written. If you were to ask about John Elway, Troy Aikman, Peyton Manning, to respective fan bases, how many times do you think that a fan would say, yeah, man, in hindsight, you know what? I would give up the career and everything that they brought to me as a fan and to my team to avoid that fiasco of a rookie season. Like that one really just soured me too much. I don't think that I could deal with that just for the sake of a couple championships and MVPs and sustained success, right? It's foolish guys. What we're doing right now by talking about, was this a mistake? to select Bryce Young with the number one overall pick after two games is some of the more short-sighted opinion that fans can make. I, I want to just see us kind of take a beat, take a breath, reset, and maybe that's what week three at Seattle can do with Andy at the helm. Maybe we see a little bit of this offense and it makes us feel better or better about Bryce even. Let's 
just exercise some patience is all I'm going to say about that. If you don't want to exercise patience and you want to burn shit down, have at it, but leave the rest of the level-headed people out of it. We can't have an entirely unhinged fan base. And I think that that's really important that when we are trying to support a team and support a new coaching staff and to support a new franchise quarterback, the last thing you need is for everyone to be turning their backs on you two games in. I'll jump off the soapbox now. That was my rant to open this thing up. Let's get into some actual uh, week three preview stuff. So Andy Dalton, like we talked about, is going to be the starter on Sunday. He has a 3-1 and one career record against the Seattle Seahawks. He's not going to be rattled by the uh, 12-man noise and environment up there. This will be his 163rd career start, so experience is definitely one of the um, tricks in his sleeve. I think that to kind of reiterate that this team does have aspirations of competing, that we haven't been duped as a fan base, is that Andy Dalton doesn't represent a significant drop-off from Bryce Young if he's if he is unable to play these games, right? And and the team has said now that Bryce Young is out for one to two weeks. So it's possible he doesn't play next week against the Minnesota Vikings as well. These are games that we should feel confident with Andy Dalton starting, though. Um, He has shown the ability to lead teams to wins, even in this latter part of his career. So with Andy Dalton, we're not going to have this and, and I mean no disrespect by this, but we are not going to have this P.J. Walker situation where you are either going to get the extreme highs or the extreme lows, right? This should be an even keel, operate the offense, execute things at a high level, and play within structure. Do what this coaching staff was brought here to do. Um, a couple more injuries. We did have Shaq Thompson. We lost him to the year. It's a big loss, man. Shaq is one of the heartbeats of this team. Absolutely love the guy. The, the players love him. They rally around him. Even in the latter stages of his career, he's still a very good ball player. I thought that Camus Grugier-Hill played nicely in his um, absence. And I also anticipate that we may see some Jeremy Chin at the linebacker alignment from this. Jeremy Chin was a guy who saw, I think, 76% of the snaps in week one against the Falcons because of the run-heavy game script. And only saw about 35% of the, the snaps week two against the Saints when they threw the ball 36 times. This Seahawks team is probably going to throw the ball. We'll talk a little bit more about their offensive tendencies and, and statistics and all that stuff coming up. But Jeremy Chin is now getting an opportunity to be out there a little bit more, which is good for two reasons. A, he's a good ball player. He does have deficiencies in coverage, and that is where you see him only get 35% of the snaps in a more pass-heavy game script. So this gives him an opportunity to kind of prove his positioning on this team. But it also gives us an opportunity to showcase his abilities instead of plummeting his trade value, potentially, by not playing him. There are holes on this team, on the offensive and defensive side, and we don't have a whole ton of draft capital. So if you can take a player that is having a hard time finding footing in, in usage on this defense... And you can add him as a sweetener to a deal to maybe recoup some of that lost draft capital or even get an impact player. That's a thing that you want to do. And this is a good opportunity to do it when Bryce isn't playing and you're not worried about the specific development of your rookie franchise quarterback. Um, 
let's look at the rankings for the teams, right? Let's start with the Panthers. On offense, we're 30th overall in points, 28th in total yards, 10th in rushing yards with a five-yard-per-carry average, 32nd in passing yards, dead last in the league. And that's not surprising. With a 4.2 yards per completion, we knew that Bryce was having a hard time. We knew that this offense was having a hard time. And we're 16th in allowed sacks. So middle of the road. Defensively, we're looking at being 13th overall in points allowed, 8th in yards allowed, 25th in rushing yards allowed, 6th in passing yards allowed. But there's a little caveat with that too, right? Because we talked about the game script against Atlanta and the way that they play football. They ran the absolute hell out of the ball. Desmond Ritter only threw the ball 18 times. So again, we're third in pass attempts against us. So that number is a tiny bit skewed. And we are fifth in sacks generated. That's a nice uptick for us because we struggled in that department last year. And Evero had some question marks coming in as a defensive coordinator of not being able to finish. He drew up a lot of pressure, but he didn't generate a whole ton of sacks. So that's a nice start to the year for us. Um, outside of Bryce Young and Shaq Thompson, we have Justin Houston was a full participant today in Friday's practice. He's listed as questionable, but coaches seem to expect him to go. Brian Burns, who walked away with a limp on an ankle ailment, he looks good to go. Uh, Miles Sanders, pectoral issue, no, no concerns there. Um, Amari Barno and Chandler Wooten, all good to go. They were limited or DMPs earlier in the week. So we're relatively healthy coming into this outside of our starting guards, our quarterback, and our, uh, damn, who was I just talking about? Oh, Shaq Thompson. So outside of that, man, we're really not that bad. So a couple of things that I want to see from the offense, I want to see us stay with the run, commit to the run. Last week, I felt like we abandoned it. It was a close game last week. We At no point was that game out of reach. And yet, Miles Sanders received 14 carries. Chuba Hubbard only got two. Chuba Hubbard was the most effective and explosive running back on the roster against Atlanta. Raheem Blackshear was a healthy scratch last week. That can't happen again. I just I think you have to have the dynamic playmaking ability, even if it's in a small volume, I think that we benefit too much from having him out there that we should not have him a healthy scratch. Unless there's something that I don't know about, right? Because he found himself in the doghouse out of nowhere. He was really good in the summer. I thought that he flashed. I thought that the coaches were high on him. And all of a sudden, you bring in Amir Smith-Marset for the kick and punt return duties. Now you're, you got Tariq Cohen that was just signed as a free agent. It seems like a little bit of uh, overlapping, right, with what you would want from Raheem Blackshear. So I, I look to see a little bit more involvement from the second and third running backs in the offense against Seattle, especially Chuba, man. I just think that with his 6.7 yard per carry average in week one, eight yard per carry average in week two, he has been really good catching balls out of the backfield so far, which was a question mark for him coming into the year. I think we got to get him involved and keep him involved. Um, tight end usage. I want to see some more creativity, man. So Frank Reich talks about his affinity for the tight end position, right? And how much he loves this specific tight end room. In 2021, which is Reich's last full season as a head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, he deployed 11 personnel, 63% of the offensive snaps and 12 personnel, 21% of the snaps. 11 personnel is one tight end, one running back, 12 personnel is two tight ends, one running back. Those looks, the 12 personnel look especially, allows you to be very multiple. It, it's a bigger package, right? Because you have two tight ends out there. 
But when you have the tight ends that we have with Hayden Hurst, Tommy Tremble, Ian Thomas, even to an extent, and Gio Ricci, it's it's a two-way skill set for most of them. And, and Ian Thomas and Tommy Tremble are better blockers than they are route runners and pass catchers. But Tremble especially is a guy that I think has to get involved. This is a guy with more versatility than Ian Thomas. He's a better blocker than Hayden Hurst. Hurst is a much better pass catcher and route runner. But having both of them out there, I think would really open up some of that multiple aspect that you're looking for from this offense. So far this season, we've rolled out 11 personnel for 92% of the offensive snaps. And we've only used, we've only used 12 personnel 4% of the time. It just doesn't align with what the objective of this offense seemed to be when you kept five tight ends initially on the 53-man roster. Steven Sullivan found himself on the IR. We still kept the other four. And we got rid of other positions where there was depth concerns like nose tackle cornerback. We only carried two quarter, quarterbacks. We did sign Jake Luton up um, and, and bring him in for, with Bryce's injury. But again, it's just there's something disconnecting here. Even the usage of Hayden Hurst last week. Three targets, three catches, 20 yards. And he's been a security blanket for Bryce. But Ian Thomas and Tommy Tremble, they were on the field for a combined 27 snaps and they received zero targets. Now, Ian Thomas was involved on the two-point conversion late in the game to make it a three-point game where they had him running this little inside tight end slip screen, the, almost like the Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid special. Luckily, it didn't go to him, right? That, I, that worries me a little bit that he's the one getting that call up. We could put Tommy Tremble out there and I'd feel a little bit better. He still has that blocking efficiency and it still makes the defense think and guess that we're running a, a, a running play because we have this better blocker than Hayden Hurst in there. Um, so those are the things that I would look for on offense. I also look for the pre-snap shifts and motions. We got to do something about that. Right now, I think we're running with about 46% of the time we're running snaps and motions before the play. Some of the more dynamic offenses in the league, the Miami Dolphins, the Green Bay Packers, the San Francisco 49ers, the Los Angeles Rams, they're using shifts in motion pre-snap well over 60% of the time. Some of them as high as 82. I, I believe that the 49ers run 82% of the time they're running shifts and motions. Thomas Brown comes from the Sean McVay coaching tree. You know he wants to do that. I think there's got to be a more collaborative effort here, maybe with the play calling. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that Reich relinquish his duties as play caller. I think it's very early to be calling for that. We're two weeks in. We have a bye week in week seven. I'd like to see this offense operate the way that it was intended to operate for the first six weeks of the offense. And then you have two weeks in between the next game. That's when you can maybe make some adjustments, right? Um, so outside of tight end usage, stay with the running back. It's the shifts and the motions. I want to see some of these quick full sprint motions where the wide receivers are targeted off of them. I think that's a great way to help alleviate some of the separation concerns, some of the lack of speed with our outside playmakers. Give them a head start, man. It's, it's essentially what they're doing in Miami and what they're doing in LA with these quick full sprint motions. It's the same principle of what you see in the arena, arena football league. These guys are flying up to the line of scrimmage full sprint. And by the time that a DB starts on his back pedal or they have to play so far off, this dude has a full head of steam, man. Like he's, they're making it difficult on the defenders to do what they're used to doing. And that's part of the game, right? 
You want to overload the defense. You want to overload the offense with your scheme and your strategy. So I do think that from an offensive standpoint, we can do more to help our team. Defensively, I'm more concerned about this one because of the fact that this is by far the most dynamic and balanced offense we have faced in the early part of this season. The Falcons, one-dimensional, dude. They're a piece of paper. You know what I'm saying? They are a square instead of a cube. You know what they're going to do. They want a high Desmond Ritter. That dude is the last guy that you want throwing the football 36 times. The Saints, yeah, sure, they threw it 36 times. They kind of only took two shots, and they hit on both of them, so that's great for them. Um, but they they still aren't a dynamic team with scary weapons. Chris Olave is a very good NFL wide receiver. Slant boy Mike Thomas, I don't think anyone lost sleep over him, right? I think Mike Thomas should reconsider dancing in a tunnel if you got Derek Brown coming at you full speed. Their running game, look, they were missing. Alvin Kamara still serving a suspension. Kendra Miller was out. Jamal Williams out. So they relied on Tony Jones Jr., who still found the end zone. But it wasn't, it wasn't an overwhelming performance from them there either. I do think that Kenneth Walker serves a much different um, threat than Tony Jones Jr., no offense. I also think that DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and the rookie JSN out of Ohio State for Seattle with Geno Smith playing quarterback, that's a much better offense. Those are just better players. And that poses a different set of problems for Dante Jackson, for C.J. Henderson, who also, by the way, C.J., thought he played a pretty nice game against the New Orleans Saints. Dante got burned on a route, on a double move from Shahid. Um, I know that C.J. was credited with allowing the catch by Chris Olave deep. That was a hell of an effort by Olave. I do think that C.J. got a little bit hung up and lost the ball a little bit tracking it, but he was in a much better position than he was against the um, pass interference call against Kyle Pitts um, in week one. So I thought that that was encouraging. I thought that Von Bell played pretty well. I thought that Xavier Woods made some nice plays. I do feel good about our defense, but this offense that we're facing is by far more dynamic and more multidimensional. For the Seahawks, let's look at them. On their injury report, first off, all I have is Thursday's injury report. They're on the West Coast, so I didn't have that at the time of this recording. Charles Cross, it was a DMP. Their left tackle, he's unlikely to play. That's a significant loss. Um, DK Metcalf was also a DMP, but Pete Carroll said there was no concern there. Um, he should be good to go. Reek Woolen, DMP, he's unlikely to play. That's their physical specimen of a cornerback, um, second-year player. Their starting safety, Julian Love, is kind of a 50-50 with a hamstring injury. He has played the, the last couple of weeks, so nose tackle Jaron Reed. Same same kind of like ballpark 50-50, even though he was a DMP. Had a couple limited guys that they expect to play. Linebacker Devin Bush, edge rusher Boy Maffei. Um, and then a limited participant that they don't expect to play is safety Jamal Adams. So they've got a nice laundry list of injuries that they're dealing with as well. From a ranking standpoint, let's look at it. On offense, they're 13th overall in points, 25th in total yards, 26th in rush yards, 20th in passing yards and 8th in sacks allowed. Now, their first week, man, it, it, those all of these stats, their offensive and defensive, not necessarily an asterisk or a caveat because they earned them, right? Like, they went out there and they played the damn games. They earned these things. But that first game, they lost 30-13 to 13 against the Rams. So their game script was different. It wasn't as balanced. The second game against the Lions, a little bit more of a shootout. So they threw the ball way more and, and at a better rate and just more efficiently. 
Um, defensively, they're 29th ranked in points allowed, 30th ranked in total yards allowed, 28th in pass yards allowed, 13th in rushing yards allowed, and 29th in sacks generated. That means that they are, man, what's a polite way to say? Oh, porous. They're porous. They can hemorrhage points. They can hemorrhage yardage. It's about being advantageous and opportunistic and seizing the moments, right? On offense, though, they do have a very balanced approach. They drop back to pass on 65% of the offensive snaps through the first two games. Um, when they had the lead, they only throw the ball 25% of the snaps. So that's that's a thing to watch is that if they jump out to a one to two score lead, do they turn very ground game centric, right? Do they emphasize on the run and get Kenneth Walker going? Kenneth Walker, very good running back. He hasn't had a great start to this season. Um, he's only averaging 3.7 yards per attempt, just 107 total yards in two games on 29 attempts. And minimal usage in the passing game, too, honestly. He's got five catches for 14 yards, and his long rush of the season is 15 yards. He's had two of those. So a less than dynamic start for him. I think that he gets it going a little bit. This Carolina Panthers defense does have a weakness defending the run. Um, we saw that exploited in Atlanta, where it was chunk play after chunk play after chunk play. I can see Seattle finding some of that success as well. Um, Geno Smith. Very accurate passer. He's he's right now he's got a 71% completion clip. He's averaging 7.1 yards, average depth of each target, and only two turnover-worthy plays so far in the first eight quarters. So he's a smart quarterback without being ultra conservative. He still takes his shots. He just does them at the appropriate time, man. And he and he gauges the defense and he plays within his abilities and within the structure and concepts of the offense that they run. One of the injuries that I talked about for the Seahawks, or maybe I didn't even bring it up. I think I left it out because I wanted to talk about it. Tight end Will Disley was a DMP, and he's uncertain to play. He, they didn't seem very confident about it. The reason that I bring that up is because we talked about the personnel packages and the tight end usage of the Carolina Panthers so far. The Seahawks have had an interesting usage. They're running, They're operating 11 personnel 58% of the time. And they run 12 personnel 21% of the time. So they've got Noah Fant and they have Will Disley. And they like both of them because they're both two-way players. Efficient blockers, physical players that don't tip their the offensive hat. But they also can catch the ball in, in yards after catch threats. If Disley is out, I think that that does make a minor adjustment for the Seattle Seahawks. And it's worth monitoring. Because we're down Shaq Thompson. So if we're only focused on Noah Fant, essentially, as the only threat there, I do think that's something that Jeremy Chin can take on or that uh, Xavier Woods or Von Bell can take on. That, hey, look, if we're going to run cover one, we're going to run one high, middle of field close. We can keep somebody on that tight end one-on-one. -on -one. We can do that. Now, I don't think that we run a lot of one high safety against this receiving group. I think you're going to have to have more help in the back end of this defense. Um, I think you're going to have to generate some pressure to try to unseat Gino and get him a little bit uncomfortable back there. If you let him sit there, he'll pick you apart. He's an accurate passer. So getting after him is going to play an integral part in this. Another thing about the Seattle Seahawks, they're a very efficient red zone offense. How efficient? Well, they've got a 100% touchdown rate through two games. 
And and that might sound like really gaudy, and it is. I mean, shit, it's 100%. It can't get any bigger than that, right? But that also doesn't mean that every single time that they touch the ball on offense, they get a touchdown. No, that's actually the overall percentage of a touchdown, right? And that's 26% of the time that they get the football, they score a touchdown, which still isn't bad. That's one out of every four opportunities on offense. They come away with six. 42% of their drives, they end up with a score in general. So it is there is going to be an onus on this defense for the Carolina Panthers to limit how often Seattle is able to get down close into the red zone. Because once they're in there, man, this this team can roll. Um, so with all of those things, like we look at this, we we see that the Seattle Seahawks probably have an advantage from a talent standpoint. And I let me remove the word probably. They 100% have a talent advantage against this Carolina Panthers team. And they're going to use it. And they're going to take advantage of our injuries without J.C. Horn, without Shaq, without our offensive guards. I mean, they're going to use every single advantage that they can against us. That's a Pete Carroll football team, man. They're they're a well-coached team. So what I look for in week three is I want to see the Carolina Panthers show up as a well-coached football team for once this year. And I'm not trying to be mean about that, but we have been undisciplined. We have been uncharacteristically conservative and not aggressive early on. And that's on offense and defense a little bit. The defense has been stronger, but I still think that there are shots that we have to take on both sides of the football. On this week where you have Bryce Young sitting out, I think this is the week that we just throw as much shit against the wall as we can and see what sticks. Find out what you can do. Get Terrace Marshall Jr. in some one-on-ones. Get him some jump balls. See how much he can win on his own. Use Jonathan Mingo in the Debo Samuel role. I know we talked about LaVisca Chenault being in that role, but why? Why can't it be Jonathan Mingo? Get him in motion, right? Get him some momentum going, man. Right now, he is struggling with his route running. And he's struggling with some drops. So yeah, you want to get him some quick, easy opportunities, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be slow opportunities. J.T. O'Sullivan talked about it in the quarterback school. When you watch the motions that we were running in week two, slow motions create slow routes. You watched the San Francisco 49ers last night and Debo Samuel against that New York Giants defense, that Wink Martindale defense. Shit, man, he was all over the place. And he was in motion. He was burning people. And Debo was a physical guy. He's not some, like, Olympic sprinter. He's very similar to Jonathan Mingo in their physical profiles. So let's get Mingo involved in that. I want to see Mingo be the primary target on some of these quick motions from the wide receiver alignment. Terrace Marshall, get him some jump balls. DJ Chark, let's let's try it, man. He's a, he's a field stretcher, so stretch the damn field, right? Let's pound the rock. Open up play action opportunities, but let's let's fire on all cylinders and find out what this offense can do with Andy. And I'm not saying that you're coddling Bryce with the play calling in the first two games. I don't believe that. But what I am saying is that you're not trying to develop Andy Dalton in this game. You're trying to see what your offense can do. And you're still trying to win the game, so win the game. They think that we're a hurt dog right now? Ah, man, come out, growling, biting. You know what I mean? Have, have a little bit of fight to you. As optimistic as I try to make all of that sound, I'm going to go ahead and give my game prediction here. 31-21 Seahawks.
I think that the Carolina Panthers do get some yardage going. I think that they do generate more offense. I have a really hard time seeing us stopping Seattle's offense in Seattle. I think that that crowd gets behind him. I think that Geno finds a rhythm. I think Kenneth Walker gets going in a big way. And it might change our offensive game plan a little bit too much and make us uncomfortable and kind of limit our effectiveness and, and essentially hurt our chances at being able to walk away with a win in this one. But I think that we show some grit and I think that we show some chemistry from our team and that we're not just folding and giving up. We might just be a little bit overwhelmed in this one. But until Bryce Young gets healthy, I want to see this team take some chances, find an identity, figure things out, let Bryce get healthy. And when he comes back in, man, let's give it hell. You know, let's just see what we can do. There's nothing to lose here. They're playing this the right way, whether fans like it or not. This is the right way to approach the situation. We come away with a win or a loss. Just do it with maximum effort, man. Clean the stuff up. Play hard, play together, and and show that this is a team that does deserve the support of the fans, despite the real quick turnover that they seem to be having. As always, I'll end this episode with a kitty lit tradition and say, keep pounding. <laughs>